reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And it says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeliness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There are three great days on the calendar, if you're a Christian, and um, all three days mark the most central beliefs that make Christianity Christianity. And uh, for those of you, even if you're not a Christian, you probably at least know something about those days. Those days are Good Friday, and that's the day in which Jesus died the death we deserve to die, and he accomplished an atonement of sin. And then there's Easter, in which he conquered death and sin. And then through the resurrection, he grants us eternal life by grace through faith. But the other one, this is the one that we're coming to. This is the most festive one. And, um, and I don't know about you, it's my favorite in terms of the holidays anyway. And that's Christmas. What is Christmas about? The Christmas, Christmas is about the doctrine. Now, it sounds a little nerdy to put it that way, is about the teaching of the incarnation, the event that God became human. For those of you who don't know, this word incarnation means into the flesh, that almighty God went into the flesh, this, 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 this humanity like us. And I'm not just talking about the physicality, all of it, mind, body, soul, holy human yet still somehow holy God. I mean, how could you be completely divine and in the way the Bible says, and yet still fully human? That is the mystery of Christmas. And what I want to do today is I want to teach you a bit about this doctrine and why it's so tremendously important. And, um, and you know, you know, we think about this, uh, you know, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. And uh, the, that baby being lying, um, laying there, that's God. <laughs> you get it? That's, that's the Christian teaching. That's the Bible's teaching. And um, I, I, if I wasn't a Christian, I would say this to you. Um, somebody can die and somehow pay for somebody else's sins. I was like, that's really strange. But that's helpful, <laughs> okay? I'm like, that's very kind because... I would like somebody to pay for my sins, and even if you're not a Christian, I think you could know 
there are lots of things in us that are not so good, right? And things that you can't fix. And the idea that death can be conquered, that's pretty cool too. I hope that that's true, that there's something after we die. But if I wasn't a Christian, this is the one, this is the doctrine I think I would find um, hard, the doctrine of the incarnation. I honestly think that um, if you're not a Christian, there's only two ways to go about this doctrine. It's completely stupid. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Like, can anybody believe this? Right? Or this must be the only true religion there is. This is a real way to God. I don't think there's, any, I don't think there's anything in between. Christianity, it's a really nice and helpful religion. But you cannot enter the gates into the truth of this relationship with God until you know the God who's incarnate and that that is the way he saves. Okay? So that's my introduction. In three parts, part one, the astonishing doctrine of the incarnation. And it is very astonishing. And I hope that if you grew up in the church, I'm going to try to help it make it more astonishing. Okay? Um, part two, he humbled himself and thus exalted us. He humbled himself and thus exalted us. And I just, just a little, little point about that. Um, why, does, why, do you, why does human life have any worth? Hmm? Why does it have any worth? Any worth? We're just smarter ants, <laughs> okay? And um, you stepped on an ant last week. So why does your life have any more worth than the ant you stepped on last week? Unless, this is true, all right? Part three, healing the human condition with divine humility. And so there's a lot of people today, um, we feel that somehow human life must be worth something. But when you actually live life, a lot of human beings are real jerkwads. <laughs> and, um, and, and if we're really honest, sometimes maybe often, a lot of times, including you. And um, there's something really bad in the human condition. And I'll just give, I'll give you that, the, the diagnosis now, we'll get to that in the third part, and that is pride. It's always about me. <laughs> it's always about me. And you just feel this all the time when we bump up against other people. And then, of course, you know that's also true about you if you're an honest. But this is the pathway through the incarnation that there's divine humility that could, has a chance to heal us, okay? So let's start. Part one, the astonishing doctrine of the incarnation. Um, I want to read this portion, a portion out of this passage, and I want to read it a little bit differently. Um, there's a, there's this, there's this portion, verses 5 through 11, is incredibly famous. Um, people think that, scholars think that this wasn't necessarily original to Paul, but that maybe it was a song Somebody wrote this, and it was a song. It was just like, you know, the songs that we sing up here, but that it, was, it became so famous, it taught something so central to, to, to the gospel that some people call this the Christ hymn. And, uh, but I have a, a, a quibble, or maybe more than a quibble. Um, usually I don't like to do this. Um, generally, the, the, you know, these, these, this translation we have here, it's, it's incredible. It's superb. It's absolutely superb. It really is. But every now and then, I think the translation is off, <laughs> okay? 
not because my Greek is so fantastic, but you know, but at least I think it's good enough to think that it's it's, it's off. I don't think it's a really good translation. This is the way it's usually tra translated, and I, I I don't think it it really conveys the surprising meaning. So let me see if I can help you with this here. Um, let's see. Let's get to verse five. All right. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. That is, have this humble mind. But here's, now we get to the Christ hymn. Verse six, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now let's just stop for a moment. That word in the Greek, form, um, the, that's probably as literal a translation as there is. Who was, though he was in the form of God. But in English, it actually means almost exactly, I don't want to say the opposite, but it means something far deeper and bigger than what we, so when you hear the word form, what do you usually think of, right? This person was in the form of a human being. Does that mean he was a human being? Is that what you would tell Think like, he's kind of in the shape of a human being. It's like Superman is in the form of a human being, but he's actually from Krypton, right? So he's not really human like us. He's some, got the form and I think that's, that's, not, that's not what the passage is saying. So there's a kind of a, there's a debate among the Greek scholars, and I don't want to get too nerdy about this, but there's an important meaning of the word form in Greek. And it actually goes back a couple hundred years before the birth of Jesus. And um, you might have heard of this philosopher. He's only the most famous. You know, Plato, you've heard of this guy. And um, he used the word form. And when he used the word form, he meant not just the shape of something. That's not what he meant. When you're talking about the form, he's talking about the fundamental core essence of the thing itself. Let me say that again. Not just the mere shape, but the fundamental core essence. And so, I think the translation should be like this. So let me, let, let me, let me, read, let me read this again, okay? So, Christ Jesus, verse 6, who though he was in the essence of God, he was of the essence of God. In other words, apart from this, you are not God. It's the saying, he's God. <laughs> he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now that's an important commentary here. I just want to say this thing. This is the Apostles Paul, or at least whoever wrote this Christ hymn, if that's true, commentary on the understanding of the nature of sin itself. Because in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve choose to disobey God, the, what makes sin so terrible is this. They choose to grasp after equality with God. They want to be like God, like they want to be powerful like God. But Jesus, though he is of the essence of God, he's God. He doesn't actually, he's not actually interested in having power and being equal to God. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? That's what it's, that's what it's saying. Let's, let's continue. Um, but, verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the essence of a servant. Not just the shape of a servant, but of its essence. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human essence. Being found in human essence. 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All right. This isn't usually considered a Christmas passage. I think it's one of the most important Christmas passages in all of the Bible. What is being taught by the Bible? Um, that God himself became human. Now, let's just stop for a moment here. I'm going to make a claim for you that a lot of people don't understand. Only the Bible teaches this. And only Christianity claims this. Now, some of you may be thinking, if you grew up reading your Greek mythology, you're like, that's not, I don't think, entirely accurate. I read my Greek mythology, and Zeus became a man. <laughs> I remember, um, I think, you know, one of the, 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 you know, like Aphrodite, she becomes a woman, and since Aphrodite is the goddess of beauty, she becomes a really gorgeous woman, right? And um, so that doesn't seem to be true. And um, there is a, I think there's a, I, I want to say it's Krishna, in the Hindu, Hindu pantheon, there is a story of a god named Krishna, and Krishna seems to be kind of like Jesus. He kind of becomes something like he becomes human, and he even seems to try to pay for sins like a human being. So it's, re it's really, it's like the closest thing that I know of outside of the Bible. Now, some of you may think that sounds very, now, I would say that as the form of sounding like the gospel, but it doesn't have the essence. Here's the difference. Um, a lot of Christians, they don't quite understand this, and I didn't understand this. When I was growing up, I was taught the Bible. I took the Bible really, really seriously, and I knew that Christmas meant the Son of God, who was fully God, was born, became fully human. I understood that, okay? And so if you grew up in the church and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you're probably like saying, okay, so far you haven't taught me anything new. Okay, here's why this teaching is not the Krishna teaching or the Greek teaching or any other religious teaching. This I didn't understand until I got to my early 20s and I got to graduate school. There was this a, a book, um, I think, I want to say it's C.S. Lewis, and he basically makes exactly the argument I'm making now. Become a human being. So I thought this is what Christianity taught. Son of God, Almighty God, Creator, Omnipotent, Omniscient, the whole shebang, only one being like that, and in, in the case of the Bible, it's strange, three persons, yet one God, okay? And then he was conceived, born of the Virgin Mary, you know, as, as uh, we sometimes confess through our creed, and then he's human. Laying the manger, you know, he lived the whole human life. And then he was crucified, and then he is resurrected. Then he taught the apostles. And then he ascended to heaven. Didn't, didn't die again. He ascended to heaven. And then, as we sometimes like to say, you know, using our creed, was, uh, you know, sit at the right hand of the Father. Okay. You know what I thought? So the Son of God is God. Then he was born. He's human. He's still God, but somehow he's also human for about 30-something years. And then he dies then he's resurrected, then he goes up and he sits next to the Father, and he goes back to being God. <laughs> so in other words, if you could look at the resume of Jesus, <laughs> it would look something like this. Almighty God from forever. And then somehow, then he created all things, and then somehow inside of creation, there was this little portion for about 30 some odd years, he had a little stint of doing the human thing. 
That's what I thought was the case. It's like some of you, you know, like today you're, you know, you're, you're, you're in research or you're, you're a software engineer or something like that. But for a summer, you flipped hamburgers. <laughs> okay? For one summer, you flipped hamburgers. You know? And somehow in my mind, I thought the incarnation was something like that. God went back to his, you know, his important job, God, right? But then he did this really important thing, being human. And then he was done with that. Now he left that behind and he went back to the God thing. That's, that's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. In my early 20s, I learned that when Jesus was resurrected, he's resurrected in a body, Right? Resurrection body. And then he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. Does he still have that body? He does. And what kind of a body is that? It's a holy human body. He still has a mind and he still has a soul and he has a human body. And so the Son of God chose to become human and then... Stay human forever. That's the teaching. That's the teaching. Um, and nobody else teaches anything like it. Not even close. Any of you ever heard this song, uh, One of Us? Now, I'm not going to sing it, okay? Well, maybe I'll, I need to sing it, then you'll know what I'm talking about, right? Um, in 1995, that was a hit song. came on the radio. And... Um, the singer is not famous. Her name is Joan Osborne. I looked it up, all right? You can look this up. One, one of us, Joan Osborne, YouTube, and you'll get the song if you've never heard it, okay? But the lyrics are something like this. If God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? Yeah, yeah, God is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, God is good. What if God was one of us? Just like a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. If God had a face, what would it look like? Would you want to see it? If seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and the saints and all the prophets. Right? Yeah, yeah, God is great. And then she sings it again. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. I heard that song on the radio and um, I couldn't believe it was on the radio. Christian doctrine <laughs> being perfectly taught on the radio. <laughs> That's true. This is true. <laughs> you will be able to see the face of God and he'll have a face. Is it better looking than this face? <laughs> Actually, the Bible says it doesn't, he didn't really look all that, there was nothing special about his looks. So does that mean Tom Cruise is better looking than Jesus? <laughs> I guess. 
It's really interesting. At least just from a pure physical beauty point of view. This is our God. That's part one. Let's go to part two. He humbled himself, and thus he exalted us. So I want to ask you this question. Um, let me, like, this is so hard to try to get this across. For most of us, especially, I think especially today in this more secularized 21st century culture, we really have a, just such a really poor understanding of God. It's like God, that weird supernatural thing that those religious people believe. You're talking about a being who's so far above and greater than us that the difference between you and me and an ant is not anything close to the difference between us and God. <laughs> the difference between a virus and you is nothing even approximating the difference between us and God. So have you, any of you ever worked in a lab? I, I've worked in a lab. You ever looked at bacteria? You look at bacteria you know, in the Petri dish. It's in the Petri dish. You look at the microphone. See a little, little, little boogers like, like, you know, like squiggles swimming around. And you look at this thing and you just think, I don't know if you actually think about this, but if you think a little bit about this, you're like, yeah, that's not anywhere near on the same level as us. And is that true? Absolutely, it's true. Now, let me ask you this question. How would you like to become one with the bacteria? I, I think I'd just like to become an E. coli bug. Forever. Forever. Not for some little, like, internship stint. Um, before we became revived, we, um, you know, a number of the co- uh, members of this congregation were part of another church. We have an ongoing mission to the Native American Reservation. It's out in uh, the middle of California. And um, you go out there, it's poor. Okay? And um, when we go out there, we go out there for a week. Those of you who are hardy go out there for all eight days. A lot of you only go out there for only four days. So there's you, some of you have, who've gone out to this reservation. So I go out there for eight nights. And by about the sixth night, I start thinking, I'm tired of sleeping in my van. <laughs> or I'm tired of sleeping on the floor. And I'm tired of living out here where it's 103 degrees. And I want to go back to the comfort of Silicon Valley where it's not as poor, <laughs> eight nights. But Jesus said, I'm not going to go to the slum called earth and be human for 30 years, but I'll go do it. I'll go be one of them forever. Starting to get the idea? That's humbled. <laughs> Would you do that? Um, I don't want to get overly mean here today. There's a lot of people who say they care about the poor today. Oh, we care about the poor. Let me tell you something. That's garbage. I think it's a complete and total, ridiculous, hypocritical lie. If you really care about them, you know what they need? They need you to go be with them. They need friends. 
They need somebody to be in their poverty with them because their poverty is not just, my house has leaks because the plumbing's not good. That's not all they need. You know what they need? It's because, well, my dad left me and my mom, she has to hold down two jobs and um, I don't know, you know, like my, my brother thinks the drug dealer down the street is the coolest dude in the neighborhood. Those are the kind of problems they have. And if you want to break into the poverty of it, somebody has to go there. <laughs> they have to go there, and I'm not saying hang out there for a one-week mission trip. I mean live there. <laughs> go be with them. Go be one of them. Go be there for them. Go love them. <laughs> and generally, all the people who are richer and more privileged they won't do that. It's a lot easier to give checks. And then we say we care about the poor, but we won't do the thing they really, really, really need, which is to humble ourselves and go be among them. But the Bible teaches God is with us. We just sang it. And we called his name Jesus Emmanuel. And he came into the neighborhood and he would not leave. He humbled himself. And he didn't come into the nice neighborhood. He didn't come to the nice side of town. So you can know the story. He was born poor, very poor. How poor? His bed is a feeding trough for animals. Not a nice bed, but it's a nice store by his mom. That was his first bed. And the first visitors were really poor people, shepherds and animals. And there's other things. You're God. I mean, you are God. I, I, I remember the first time I ever thought about this, really, really thought about this. I was thinking, there's no way I'd do this. <laughs> if I'm God... I would say this got to be an easier way. Let's snap our fingers because I'm almighty and kind of fix it. Wouldn't that be the easier way? But instead, he chose things like this. So if you're going to be human, here are some of the things that you have. You have a body odor. You have to shave and bathe. You have bad breath. God had to wake up with bad breath. He farted. God farted. God had indigestion. God burped. He caught cold and needed his mom to take care of him. God put himself so vulnerable. This is what he chose. He said, I'll be a part of this. And I'm not going to just go back and then let it go. I'll be a part of this. There's other things. He gets hungry. He gets lonely. He cries. Before, when he was with the Father in heaven, the Father's with him. The Father's pure spirit. He's pure spirit. They're fully one in each other. There's no separation. There's no such thing as a body. His soul 
if there's such a thing as a divine soul, whatever it is, he's pure spirit. The father's pure spirit. You know, when he's with the father, he's always with the father. You know, his heart, it's never empty because the father's always there. It's like he's fully the son, but the father's always there. They're always fully, completely united to each other that they don't lose their identity as father and son. He always had this, never lonely. Become a human being, maybe always lonely. And if you're going to be loved and you're going to be with somebody else to be loved, you know what you need? You need to be touched. And so... Here he is, Almighty God. He made Mary. <laughs> he made Joseph. It's like asking the bacteria, would you hug me? And if you don't touch me, I will cry. God chose this. <laughs> God chose this. He chose vulnerability like this. He chose to be human like this forever. This is what we believe. Now, I want to teach you a few other implications of this, this doctrine of the incarnation. I ask you this question, what are human beings worth? Are they bacteria? Um, I, get real, I get a little kind of crotchety about this sometimes, right? I always feel like there's all these atheistic people in our culture and they're always talking about social justice or human rights or how we have to care about poor people and then they don't go around and do anything for poor people and then, but they say, but then they guilt on everybody else and then they immediately tell you that all we are are really just overly smart bacteria. Like that's like the doctrine, the doctrine. <laughs> that's the doctrine of creation of the atheist society. If you really think about it, human beings, what are they worth if that's true? What are they worth if that's true? And is it any wonder that human beings then start to treat each other in a really like poor way? I don't know if there's a God and I don't know if there's a heaven. Saints, mm, we're really cynical about these things. And thus, of course, you know, you get on an app, she's pretty. You know, I can go to bed with her, see ya. Because the body doesn't matter. Her life doesn't matter. Those poor people over there, whatever. And in the human heart, we have this unbelievable tension and hypocrisy, which is in the one side, there's this part of us that's made in the image of God and we know that this is not right. It's deeply wrong. But then when we actually go live our life, we basically treat each other like human life doesn't really matter a whack of a lot as long as I get what I want. Like, you know, it's like this thing. But if God became a human being, it elevates what it means to be a human being. And I mean all of it. Jesus elevates our soul. No, he, he, he elevates your body. <laughs> so here's some of the things that become important if God is human forever. Economics becomes important. 
You know why? Because economics is about scarcity. And you know what scarcity is about? Getting goods, scarce goods, to infinitely valuable beings called human beings. So for those of you who study economics, oh, I studied this so I can go get a job and make a lot of money. All right. Thanks for acting like a really good rat. <laughs> Don't do that. Economics is really important. Because people who are really good at economics, you're exalting the human condition. How about other things? Art. Because how do you see beauty? Through the eyes, <laughs> through the ears. And if you don't have beauty, the human being dies. <laughs> and it happens through, you know, the body. <laughs> this is how it happens. Touching is important. Bodily movement is important. So if I stick my hand up like this and I give you a certain finger, you will rise up and get me fired. Because <laughs> that movement matters. So dance matters. Dance matters. You ever thought about that? Clothing is important. The whole human being, Jesus became human. You think he just walked around naked? The clothing matters. The eating matters. Not just what we eat. There's pe probably people today who are just like, if we could just put all the nutrients into like some kind of like smoothie in the morning, and you wake up in the morning and you drink all the smoothie, and then you run out of the house, and then that's all you need in the day, you would go, I'd be good. That's so stupid. <laughs> that is <so> horrible. <laughs> that is completely stupid. You know what you need? You need to eat, sit down, and see the way it looks and see the way it smells and appreciate the way it was cooked and eat it together and eat and laugh and cry together. That's the way it was supposed to be. Because we're, we're, we're human. This is the body, everything. It's important. And I'll, I want you to say one more thing that's important before I close. Right? The human being. So this is the really crazy thing. So here's omnipotent God. I'm, I'm going to create. There was nothing, and now I'm going to make everything. <laughs> and inside of everything, I'm going to make this being called the human being. And then I'm going to become one. Think about it. So he shaped this vessel called the human being. So look at the way he made us. You think God said 10 fingers. Let's, I'm going to give myself 10 fingers. I'm going to give them 10 fingers, which means I'm going to give myself 10 fingers. They can laugh, so I can laugh. <laughs> they can cry, because I can cry. And so then, right there at the beginning of the Bible, it says, they're made in the image of God. The only creature made that way, in the image of God. So you know what it means to be really human? To be divine. That's what it means. If I could make a creature, and I'm going to go be one of them, then he made us. That's what he did. 
Now I want to close with this one portion. What makes human beings basically suck, okay? It's right here, right? Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Okay, tomorrow, go do it. <laughs> go do it. Don't have selfish ambition or conceit. Just go be humble, okay? Go do it. How many are you going to make it? And what if I told you this? And if you can't do it, God's going to consider you not like him and go, you're not fit for heaven. Because you have selfish ambition and conceit and you never consider others humbly. That's the description of God. And if I told you to go do it, if you're really honest, you would know your host. <laughs> A lot of people think that um, what makes human beings bad, it's like we look for like the big bad sins. He's like, okay, this, this guy got so angry, he beat his wife. Oh, that's really bad. Okay. She was so horrible, she cheated on her husband. Oh, that's really bad. This person lied and stole and cheated their company. It's really bad. But actually, according to the Bible, except for, you know, those things are bad. But this is really where you get to the bot, the center of the center of the bad. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so here's the way I want to close, right? God did this not only to show us what it looks like. He did this so that the humility with which he did this, he could give it to us by grace. Because here's, here's how the verse goes. Have this mind among yourselves, have this humble mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Oh, there it is. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you have a right to a humble mind. It's yours. How do you get it? Through Christ Jesus. This is the person that you know. This is the person that saves you. This is the person who's always with you. This is the person who said, I'm going to come into the neighborhood and I'm never going to leave. You know, we think of this God who's so distant and far away, but this is God that's like us. And when he's with you, can you believe he's that humble? Instead of going to try to be humble, the way to the path of humility is the gospel. <laughs> this is yours. This mind is yours in him. And I often think that, you know, years ago when I finally realized that the most rotten thing about me is my pride and I have no chance <laughs> to fix it by myself. 
And then I finally read this passage and I said, and I, I, never, I never saw this part before. It's like, it's weird. I read those, blah, 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 blah. And then had this mind of mercy, which is yours. Huh. And Jesus. And I began to think, that's the best Chris, the gift of Christmas. Humility was born on earth. And his mind can be mine. If I receive him, and he comes to dwell with me and dwell in me. And I have a chance that this most horrible, horrible, self-centered, always thinking about me, always thinking about my self-interest, it's like, ah, it's a burden. Go think about other people's interests. <laughs> if I remember, almighty God, he put his self-interest aside for me. He never had any pride. He had humility for me. And he didn't just have humility to go help me with my sin. He came to show humility. This is, this is what humility actually looks like so that we could have it. And then when we finally have humility, we'll be divine. We'll be most human. If the whole world could be humble like this, That'd be heaven. <laughs> and one day it's coming because of Jesus. Let's pray. Pride is this constant self-preoccupation of the unholy trinity of the me, myself, and I. Father, we really love to worship me, myself, and I. But you who is the true, true Holy Trinity, you the Son, came to not only be humble, but to give us humility. So that we would stop being like the devil and we would stop biting each other and looking down on each other and always being, resenting each other. Like, why does that guy think he's better than me? Who the heck does she think she is? And that our life would be filled with this, this horrible, this. This horrible poison called me. You came to give us humility, to free us from ourselves and to make us truly great that lowliness is truly great that lowliness is truly glorious that humility is the highest highest like you we thank you lord that you did this and you continue to walk with us the burping the farting the prideful the lying the backstabbing the resentful this this insecure Snots, call it human beings. But instead, you made us more than snots. You made us like you, God. And you exalted us. You redeemed us. You loved us. May we worship you. And as we worship you, give us your mind. Give us your heart. And make us more divine 
so the world could be a little bit more heavenly. And may it be so this Christmas. In Jesus' name.